chapter 11, Genesis chapter 11, we're going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, beginning with verse 27 through chapter 13, verse 1. <clears throat> we're not going to read through each verse, uh, we're going to look at the verses that pertain to the topic at hand. Tonight's entitled message is Lot's Development, Lot's Development. Lot is believed to be a representative man, or the typical man. There's probably no Bible figure who represents so many men of today as Lot of Sodom. Where you can find one Abraham, one Daniel, one Joshua, you'll find a thousand Lots. Studying Lot is a timely study, considering the days that we live in today. You know, and, and again, it's timely for a couple of reasons. Because of the worldliness of a lot of Christianity today, Lot was a worldly man. Lot is a type of that worldliness. And a lot of Christians smell of the world. They're full of materialism. Their morals have fallen declined. They marry unbelievers. They don't take much of a stand against evil. They're not, they're, they're not much opposition to the devil. And rather than take a hard stand against evil, they kind of just go along with it, pressured to go along with it, believe the things that the world is telling them. But studying Lot's character reminds us of the great danger that this worldly lifestyle is to the believer. The second reason for this being a timely study is because of the plague of homosexuality that is flooding our land today. And this is not meant to be a study coming down on them, pointing them out for just, the, uh, you know, as, as, oh, this is the, the worst thing that, that anybody could ever do. It is not an attack on homosexuality or the homosexuals. It is an attack on the lifestyle in God's viewpoint. That's what we're looking at. All right? Nobody's going to go to hell because they're a homosexual. They're going to go to hell because they don't have Jesus. And that's with anybody. And that's what we have to focus on. People don't go to hell for their sin. They go to hell for rejecting, rejecting Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to focus on. All right? We want to focus on God's view of, of these sins. And that, uh, again, God will open our eyes to that. So again, society is now speaking about homosexuals and their moral depravity in a more understanding way, in a very understanding way. And more and more laws are being made to protect and accept and encourage this lifestyle, you know, as normal. But the study of Lot shows us the terrible danger homosexuality is to mankind and tells us of God's great, you know, uh, abomination uh, of this lifestyle. And he warns us, if we don't take God's position on it, that our land will face terrible judgment. So as we begin our study, scriptures show us some important factors that affected Lot's development. And these things that Lot experienced will have a significant effect on anyone who experiences them. And they can affect a person in a good or bad way, depending on how you react to them. Now, unfortunately, Lot didn't let these factors affect him in a good way, the way he should have. 
But we have to give him some credit because the experiences did help him to reject idolatry. So the New Testament speaks of a lot, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the New Testament speaks of Lot as being saved. But he wasn't a victorious Christian. He was bound for heaven, but his heart's interests were of the world. Someone said, receiving Christ will get you into heaven, but it won't make you a good Christian. And God sends many different kinds of experiences to people to train and to develop them into strong saints and servants, his servants. And some of these experiences may be pretty tough, like the ones that Lot experienced. But they're not meant to destroy the person. Instead, they're to build them up. And a lot of people, like Lot, don't do well, you know, with their divinely ordered experiences. And remember, whatever we go through, it's not just a random act. It's not something that just happens to us. They're divinely ordered or allowed by God for our, for our, for our good. And so they either receive smaller blessings. All right, if we don't do well with, with God's divinely ordered experiences, they either receive smaller blessings than they should from their experiences or worse. They turn the experiences into destructive ones. So the things that should build them up tears them down. And what should strengthen their faith weakens their faith. And what should warn them from doing evil encourages them to do evil. And this was often the case with Lot. Lot dealt with deep sorrow several times early in his life. First, it was his father Haran who died. Then later, his grandfather Terah who died. Let's begin with verses 27 through 28 now of, again, uh, Chapter 11 of Genesis. And it begins in 27. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot, begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans. So the first experience of Lot's sorrow comes right after it mentions here in these verses. Haran begat or begot Lot. Then the next thing we read is, and Haran died before his father uh, Terah. So Lot barely comes on the scene in the Bible before he experiences sorrow. He didn't have to wait very long in life before he became acquainted with heavy personal grief and also witnessed his family experiencing the same thing. Let's jump down to verse 31. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, which is Sarah, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So after Lot's father died, Lot's grandfather took care of him. And verse 31 says, Terah took his son Abram, or Abraham, and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, with him. Now, in those days, when the man of the house died, the family was the one left, the family was left in a desperate situation. And because women didn't go into society and work like they do today, when the husband died, there was no support for them, unless some, some family member would take over the care of the family. So Lot's grandfather did that. And it wasn't just the honorable thing to do. It was the sensible thing to do because he was the father of the deceased 
and the one person in the family who materially could best take care of the others at that time. And in those days, people took care of their own as God intended them they should. You know, again, it wasn't the government who took on their social responsibilities. Verse 32. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. The second sorrowful experience that Lot dealt with was the loss of his grandfather here, Terah. This sorrowful experience, so first it was father, now it's his grandfather. This sorrowful experience, losing his grandfather, wouldn't be nearly as great as the sorrow from, again, the death of his father. But it would still be painful. When Terah took over taking care of Lot, he would be like a father to him. So naturally his death, it would be more strongly felt than if, it was, than if Lot's own father was still alive. Lot's older now. So it would also soften the loss a little bit. But there would still be a great deal of sorrow in Lot losing his grandfather. So after his grandfather died, Abraham would now take care of him. In chapter 12, verse 4, it says, So Abraham departed as the Lord has spoken to him, and Lot went with him. So Abraham was in authority now over Lot, which is seen by the fact that when the two separated later on, Abraham took control of the separation. So Lot now is again taken under the care of another family member after a death in, in his family. Now today, psychologists and psychiatrists and so-called Christian psychologists would try to use these heartbreaking experiences of Lot, you know, the death of his father, the death of his grandfather, you know, now being uh, taken over by other family members and, and you know, them now uh, taking care of him. Uh, again, Modern psychology today would try to use these heartbreaking experiences that Lot went through as an excuse for Lot's failure in his behavior, as we'll see later on. So, you know, if there are bad experiences in a person's younger days, you know, today's modern psychology presume that this explains and even justifies some of their shortcomings, some of their failures later on in life. For example the loss of a parent, and, and later a guardian. That would be considered, you know, enough of an excuse. And again, it is painful. I'm not, you know, watering that down. But it would be used as a reason to justify, you know, Lot from his failures. But, you know, we're not to fall for any of this kind of thinking because here's the thing. Scripture won't justify it. Scripture won't justify it. To the contrary, the Bible shows us men who have come out champions for God, who suffered a lot more. A great example is Joseph, and we went through Joseph's character. Joseph, at age 17, was cruelly sold by his brothers into slavery. And they wanted to murder him if it hadn't been for his older brother Reuben. He was abruptly taken from his beloved father, sold into slavery, taken to another place to live, another you know, country... And, and, and became a slave in Pharaoh's house. I mean, and that's just the beginning. He was accused of rape, falsely accused, went to prison under false, false accusations, spent time in prison, and just, you know, it, again, if, if modern psychology looked at what happened to Joseph, they would say that he was bound not to be a productive member of society, and it would be because, be because of his past, 
his history. Now, that would have some influence, okay? That may have some influence, but it's not a command. I still have the last place to say yes or no to bad behavior. So, and even, and Joseph, unlike Lot, turned out to be a generous man, a kind man, a forgiving man, and he had a great character. So we make fools out of ourselves trying to justify our shortcomings to say, well, you know, my parents this, my parents that, and I didn't have a good upbringing. And again, it may have some input, but it's not a a true excuse for, for bad behavior. You see, we need to confess our sins, not just justify them, if we want to make things better in our life. Different experiences can be opportunities to build up our character and strengthen our faith. Letting them do the opposite is not justifiable. Lot truly did go through some very painful times in his life, very sorrowful times. But again, these times don't excuse later sins. These times could have been used to strengthen Lot's character. Also from scripture, the scriptures, we can see that the Lord did a lot of moving, uh, that, I'm sorry, that Lot did a lot of moving around in his early life. And that's unsettling for a young person. This moving around involved three major trips that Lot took with Abraham. And these trips also helped to affect the development of his life. And these trips were the journey from, Europe, from Ur to Haran, from Haran to Canaan, and from Canaan to Egypt and back. The third trip was really two trips, one from Canaan to Egypt and one trip back from Egypt to Canaan. These three trips all had a negative side to them as far as Abraham was concerned. And because these three trips mostly concerned Abraham and his calling from God. Lot was not the main person on these three trips. He went on the trips because of his subordinate relationship, because now somebody else was taking over authority over him because his father and grand- grandfather had died. So he was under the leadership of those who were you know, taking these trips. But these trips were important events in Lot's life. And they had a lot to do with the developing of Lot. The trip for Ur to Haran was a compromise. And we can see that it was a compromise in three ways. First of all, it was a compromise in the the relationships that were involved in this first trip. Look at now Genesis 12 verse 1. And it says, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now, Abraham obeyed the part of his call about leaving his country Ur, but he didn't obey the part about leaving his relatives. Nowhere does it say he was supposed to take Lot. Acts chapter 7 verse 2 says it was Abraham who got the call in Ur. And, and Isaiah emphasizes this fact when it says that God called him Abraham alone. God did not call Abraham's father. He didn't call his brother, his nephew, or any of, uh, other of Abraham's relatives to go with him. Just Abraham was called. So only Abraham and his wife, his servants, and his belongings were to be involved in going to Canaan. But he compromised in regards to his associations, that is, those that were with him. And we're going to see more about this a little later. This compromise was a factor in limiting limiting what Abraham could do, you know, in the accomplishments that Abraham could have made. 
So this is a strong warning to all of us to be careful about our associations because they can be harmful. They can hinder the work of God. This compromise has a lot to do with Lot and his story in the scriptures because it brings Lot on the scene in scripture. Think of it. If Abraham hadn't compromised, compromised when he came to his relatives, Lot would have been left in Ur. And the complications that Lot caused Abraham will never be looked at in the right way by the carnal mind, which always likes to adopt the philosophy that the end justifies the means. In other words, any method of achieving a good or important goal is acceptable, even if it's morally wrong or unethical. And they would agree. You know, the worldly, the worldly philosophy would agree that if Lot hadn't been taken along on the trip with Abraham, he would never have gotten saved. He would have stayed in idolatry the rest of his life. Yes, they will admit that Lot made a mess of his life in Sodom. But they would argue, hey, that at least he was saved. Now, something they say wouldn't have, you know, this is something they say wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have gotten saved if Abraham hadn't compromised. But here's the deal. That reasoning is faulty because it's not supported by Scripture either. The fault is that compromise is seen here in this situation. They look at the fault of Abraham compromising. It was necessary in order for Lot to get saved. But that conclusion severely limits God. It it really takes God out of the picture. And it's an insult to God. Oh, thank goodness Abraham took Lot with him on his trip because he wouldn't have been saved. I'm sure God's going, I'm glad Abraham did that. You know, thank goodness for Abraham and his compromise. But again, the reason is faulty. Because again, this compromise is seen here in this situation was as necessary to to see Lot get saved. But again, the conclusion limits God and it insults him. Why? Again, why would it be impossible for Lot to get saved if he stayed in Ur? Couldn't God save him in, 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 in Canaan? You know, To argue that it was necessary that Abraham disobeyed God for Lot to be saved is to try to justify evil because of some good that it brings. Now, this is a very faulty argument that many people would support because, you see, it helps in their minds to justify their own evil doings. You see, if evil evil does come out of good, it's only because of the grace of God. But you see, it never justifies the evil. It's also not Lot's fault being associated with Abraham on this trip. You see, he was under the, the, under the authority of others. And the decision to make the trip was not Lot's. So whether Lot, where, where Lot messed up in his failure to listen to the warning of Abraham's compromise in, in, in situations, or I'm sorry, associations. You see, it's, it's, it was his failure to listen to the warnings later on in his life when he saw what, what, that, that uh, Abraham compromised in the associations that he had. Lot later on uh, compromised a great deal in his association and those people that he hung out with by living in Sodom. And it cost him, it cost him big time. The next area where Abraham compromised was in the area of leadership. So first it was with the association, those people that he took along with him on the trip. The next area that he compromised in was leadership, the one leading the trip. It appears that Terah, 
Lot's grandfather took charge of the family and their travels, but Terah was the man who stopped before he got to where God said to go. Terah traveled about 500 miles as far as the city of Haran, and that's where he stopped. That's where he settled down, and that's where he died. Now, it's possible that, that Terah, that the trip was too hard for him, being an older man. But you see, it was God's plan that Abraham and Sarah follow, again, follow God without their family. Terah and Abraham are both at fault. See, Terah took it upon himself to take the place of leadership. And Abraham neglected taking his place of leadership. And we see that, that as a problem today all throughout society. We see today the government and the schools trying, and they're trying hard, and, and, and we don't know how it's going to turn out, but they feel that they can take care of our children better than parents. And we see that. And parents are starting to lose the rights of their children. And many parents are neglecting their leadership of their children and not standing up and speaking out. Oh, well, you know, they're, all, they're educators and they know better and they're smarter. No way. In the homes where wives presume leadership while husbands neglect leadership. It's seen in the church. Pastors, though they try to exercise the leadership and authority which his calling gives him, they run into a lot of troubling opposition by the members who, who, who presume they're in authority and think they're the ones to lead the church instead. And I, I went to a church like that before. They wouldn't let the pastor do anything. The trip to Canaan wasn't successful until the right person was in charge. So the Lord's work in the church won't be successful until the right person is in charge and is given the proper respect and authority by the church. Lot's life is going to show, that this, show this problem later on. He presumed the leadership role. Lot presumed, he, he, you know, he took over the leadership role over Abraham when they were separating from each other. Lot presumed arguing with the heavenly angels about divine precepts about leaving Sodom. He, he was arguing with them about leaving. And we see this problem in how, how, how Lot raised his family. We see it in Lot's experience in Sodom and especially in the last scene the scripture gives of his life where each of his last two unmarried daughters had children by him through incest. Abraham compromised also. This is the third area uh, where he compromised in the area of accomplishment. Notice verse 31 says, Abraham was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Why did he stop at Haran? Abraham was supposed to go to Canaan, but they stopped in Haran. They only went about halfway. Compromise does not complete the task that God gives us. It never reaches the goal. You never get the complete victory. And you see, Satan tried to do that with Jesus when he was going to the cross, when he tempted in the wilderness. He tried to get Satan, hey, you know, he tried to get Jesus, bow down and worship me. You, know, you can have all of this and, and it, you know, it, you can have it. You just, you know, just bow down and worship me. He was trying to stop Jesus from accomplishing the task that his father had given him. Now, at first, Abraham may have told himself because he allowed some relatives to travel with him. They gave him the impression, hey, we're willing to go to Canaan. But after they got to Haran, they stopped. For them, that was far enough. 
Now, going to Canaan, it might have been too much for them. Compromise often plays into the hands of carnality. Full obedience is unacceptable to the carnal mind, to the carnal man or woman. You know, when we want to be when we want to obey God and carry out his will to the fullest extent, they will say, hey, y'all, man, don't take it too far. You know, you're being an extremist, you're being fanatical, you're being impractical. It's not necessary. And these are the thoughts that are used by the carnal Christian to describe as total obedience to the Lord. You don't have to take it all the way. You don't have to go all the way. It's never impractical. It's never extreme to obey God in every detail. That's what we're called to do. He doesn't say, hey, just carry out partially or part of the way, all the way. When Jesus carried out the will of the Father, he said, it is finished. I did all that the Father asked me to do. Man can only respond one of two ways when they see disobedience to God. They can either let the disobedience encourage them to do evil, or they can let it warn them of evil behavior. The response depends on what's in the man. Lot, man, he, didn't, he, wasn't, a high mind, he wasn't a high-minded man. Lot was always looking for excuses to do evil and to cater to the flesh. You know, again, but high-minded men, they do the opposite. Alexander White said this, Lot was not and never became a high-minded man. Now, Lot's second lengthy trip was a trip of consecration. When Abraham ended his delay in, in, in obedience and he left Haran to go to Canaan. Look at chapter 12, now verses 4 and 5. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. So again, this is the, the second lengthy trip that Lot took that you know, helped to develop his life. It took place when Abraham got back on track in obedience to the call of God and he left Haran like he should have from the get-go or never stopped there and he went to Canaan. And we can see now Abraham's consecration in doing the will of God. And we can especially see his consecration on this trip based on those that he took with him. On this trip, Abraham did not take along a bunch of relatives like he did before. This was a big and valuable improvement from his first trip where he took people that he wasn't supposed to take. Lot was kind of like an adopted son. Lot was not a hindrance on this trip. But even with the exception of not taking any family with him, it's true that Lot became a pain in the neck to Abraham, which emphasized the value of God's original orders not to take any family on the trip. Lot didn't hinder Abraham from getting to Canaan, but he caused Lot some serious problems. I'm sorry, he caused Abraham some serious problems after they got to Canaan. And later on, Lot and his, all his belongings, his whole estate, became such a problem to live with that Abraham had to separate from him because he had so much material stuff. 
Then later on, Abraham had to go through a lot of hassle to rescue Lot from being a prisoner of Chador Lamer. It was also a burden in Abraham's heart to see Lot living in Sodom. You know, like a, like a heavy-hearted parent. A burden of a parent that has a child <clears throat> who's living far from God and hanging out with the ungodly. That was Lot in Sodom. If Abraham would have obeyed God from the very beginning in, in verse 1, if he'd have obeyed God from the very beginning, Lot wouldn't be with Abraham to cause the trouble in his life later on. You know, it's something to think about the next time that, that we're thinking of compromising God's good word, even a tiny bit. The end of the first trip brought about the, the compromise because they stopped in Haran. But the end of the second trip brought consecration because he didn't stop that is, Abraham didn't stop until he got to the land of Canaan, the place where God told Abraham to go. Chapter 12, look at verses 6 through 9. <clears throat> Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verse 8, and he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the, west, on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south. Abraham kept going when he got to Canaan. He was in the land, when he got to the land, he kept going. He kept, he even kept going after he was in the land. In other words, he looked over the land. He checked it out. He passed through the land to see it all. So this trip would give Lot an excellent example of consecration to God's will. And in this trip, Lot would see a man, speaking of Abraham, totally surrendered to doing God's will. When they got to the land of Canaan, Lot would see Abraham unashamedly building altars to worship God right there in front of the heathen Canaanites. Lot would also learn about the reward of divine revelation that came to Abraham for his obedience. But again, Lot was not a high-minded man. He profited enough from Abraham's life and testimony to get saved. But he didn't profit enough to follow him. He followed Abraham's failures more seriously than he did his faithfulness. Then the third major traveling experience Lot was involved in, you know, helping to develop his character, was during his younger years, was the trip to and from Egypt that Abraham made after he moved to Canaan. Look at now at chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him. This trip was wrong from the very beginning. Again, nothing was right about this trip. Again, Abraham's first trip was a trip of compromise. But he was going in the right direction. His second trip was a God-ordered trip. But this third trip is a trip of condemnation for three reasons. First, it was a trip of condemnation because Abraham, uh, 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 because of Abraham leaving Canaan, 
God had called him to Canaan, not to Egypt. So why did he go to Egypt? Look at verse 10. Chapter, 13, uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt, notice, to dwell there because the famine was severe in the land. Now, to the materialistic person, the carnal person, this might be a good reason to leave Canaan. There's a famine in the land. These things got pretty tough in Canaan. And a person has to look out for himself, right? You got to take care of number one. That's the world's philosophy. But it shouldn't be the believer's philosophy. The believer has more than circumstances to guide their decisions and their behavior. We have God's word. Now, our circumstances, hey, we all know they may get pretty hard. They may get pretty tough. But unless the word of God approves of the moves that we make during those times of circumstances, uh, we need to make sure that, the, that, that uh, the, the move is approved by God. Whatever we do, we have to make sure that what we do is approved by God, regardless of how tough the circumstances are. Because, you know, what do we want? We want to move out of that situation, don't we? We want to move out of those circumstances. Now, there are a few times when God did approve of his people moving to Egypt. God told Jacob in Genesis 46.3 to go to Egypt. God told Jesus, uh, Joseph and Mary in Matthew 2.13 to go to Egypt. But normally, Egypt was forbidden, forbidden because it represents the world. It represented the world, corruption, and godlessness. God tests his people when it comes to their commitment to see his will. He wants to see their commitment to his will. So he sends troubles and sometimes severe ones, you know, to his people to see if they're going to do his will even through the hard times. Jesus said, those who endure to the end shall be saved. That's the key. Hey, it's easy to endure when times are good. The way the world and carnal Christians think today, outward success is the big determining factor of doing the will of God. If things go well, hey, we stay put. If they don't, hey, we got to get out of here. We got to move on. You may move on in the will of God, but make sure it is the will of God. Don't look at circumstances alone as the, the determining factor of what you do. The final authority is the word of God. Abraham's trip to Egypt did not have God's approval. He didn't have the approval of God's word. He should have stayed in Canaan. Hey, God is not so weak that he couldn't have taken care of Abraham in the famine. Remember, he fed Elijah by ravens. And he fed the Israelites in the desert with manna. He can take care of us in any place, any time, under any condition. The second reason that this last trip here was condemned is the line that took place in Egypt. God's not going to send you somewhere where you have to lie. You see, the problem is one sin leads to another. Abraham left without the approval of God. And when he got to, where he, to Egypt, guess what? He had to start lying. When he got out of the will of God, he didn't let his word, God's word, guide him. And we're going to see it just got him into more trouble. So again, that's what happened with Abraham. Going to Egypt caused him some anxiety about his own safety. Because he was afraid of the, that the Egyptians might kill him in order to get his wife. 
So, so he had Sarah agree to tell the people she was his sister and not his wife. Now, you could look at it as a half-truth because she was his half-sister, according to Genesis chapter 20 and 12. But a half-truth half is still a whole lie. See, Abraham's plan was to deceive. The line led to Sarah being taken into Pharaoh's house which was the main move for her becoming Pharaoh's wife. That is, if God hadn't intervened. And if God hadn't gotten involved, it could have been a moral mess. Sarah would have become Pharaoh's wife, and we would have never heard from Abraham. And her life would have been destroyed, and Abraham's too. But the grace of God stepped in. Abraham did not deserve that deliverance. Because he had deliberately lied, because he had deliberately or disobeyed and left Canaan to go to Egypt, he deserved the troubles that he could. You know, he deserved the troubles that he could have gotten into. But it's only the grace of God that gets us out of those kind of situations. We get ourselves in a lot of trouble when we don't honor God's truth properly. We think that we can lie ourselves out of our troubles, but all that lying will do for us is get us into more trouble. Abraham showed by his lying that character wasn't as important as his physical and mental well-being. The third reason that this trip was condemned was the danger even brought to the Egyptians. Abraham's behavior brought a lot of problems to the house of Pharaoh. Look at chapter 12, uh, now verse 17. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's or Abram's wife. You see, Abraham's sin didn't just affect himself. And that's one of the things, the lies that Satan tells us, oh man, it's just you. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's just you. You know, you're involved. nobody's going to get hurt by this. Sarah wasn't the only one to experience suffering. To experience, it was Pharaoh's house as well. So again, we see all of these things condemning this third trip from Canaan to Egypt. And even though Pharaoh was at times a poor example for Lot, I'm sorry, yeah, even though Abraham was at times a poor example for Lot, he also showed Lot much uh, good training as well. So he, was, he, was, he you know, had a bad example at times, but he was also a good example at times. And he, with a lot of good training. Abraham wasn't negligent in training his household. In Genesis 14, 14, it says that, that Abraham trained 318 servants who were able to go to war. These men were the men who attacked and defeated a powerful partnership of the five kings who had just attacked Sodom and taken Sodom's residents captive. In Genesis 18, 19, we read that God said to Abraham, I have singled him that is Abraham, out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So with that scripture, it makes it pretty clear that Abraham paid attention to training those that were under him. And we're right in, in concluding that Lot was given a lot of good training because he lived in Abraham's house for several years. And Lot would be trained especially spiritually. Joshua 24, 22 affirms uh, what this says. That again, that, that Lot would be trained, especially spiritually speaking. Lot 24, 22 says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. 
Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates, lived beyond the Euphrates rivers, and they worshipped other gods. See, when Abraham was called out of the land of Ur, he was called out of idolatry. He was called out of idolatry to worship and to serve the true and living God. Lot came with Abraham. And while living with him, Lot profited by the spiritual training in Abraham's household. Lot benefited enough from the spiritual training that he received in Abraham's home to become a saved man. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, Peter speaks of Lot as just and righteous. A just and righteous man. And having a righteous soul. Think of it. If Peter hadn't said this, we'd have, we would have never known that Lot was saved, especially because of his behavior. But as mentioned before, Lot wasn't a good steward of his spiritual opportunities and advantages. Even though Lot had excellent spiritual training by Abraham, he didn't grow very much spiritually. And all through history, there have been and are many people like Lot today. They haven't been good stewards of their spiritual opportunities. I mean, think of it. We've had so much, so many more spiritual advantages than the previous generations. You know, churches everywhere. Radio services, radio Bible studies, streaming Bible studies, Christian colleges, great books, seminars, conferences. And yet there's so much more spiritual ignorance today than there was when they had a lot less spiritual opportunities. We will for sure have to answer God for not using our spiritual privilege as we should. And then Lot received occupational training, that is training for, for you know, his livelihood for the job that he had in, in taking care of a, of a huge ranch or, or, or a state. Lot didn't receive just good spiritual training from Abraham, but some good occupational training, especially in the area of raising livestock. When Scripture starts to focus on Lot, he was already doing well in the business of raising livestock, according to Genesis 13.5, which tells us Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become, notice, very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. Abraham would be a good teacher in this area because Abraham oversaw also a very successful livestock farm that had hundreds of servants. Remember, 318 of them were trained warriors. As many as a 1,000 servants Abraham had because he had women servants as well as men servants, and many couldn't be spared for war. So in closing, how did Lot use this training? Well, he used it selfishly. He was trained with valuable skills, but it's too bad that he used them to cater to his flesh. You know what? And he's not alone in this. The world is just like him, and many carnal Christians are just like him. Later on, Lot would leave the fellowship of godly Abraham just to make an extra buck in Sodom because Lot put more priority on material profit than spiritual profit. Lot had a lot of help in his early days to develop him into something better than he did. In God's grace, he gave Lot many opportunities to help him to do well. But Lot was a worldly Christian. And the spirit of the world grabbed a hold of his heart. 
and he didn't use his opportunities to improve his spirituality. And this is sad, but also true to, uh, to all worldly people, all worldly Christians. Spiritual, spiritual improvement doesn't have priority with these people. Their interests are mostly material. They might be saved, but they never develop into strong, victorious saints for the glory of God. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you for this beginning of the study here in Lot, Father. And we see how experiences in our life, Father, can be good for us or bad for us, Lord. But though they are never an excuse to do evil and to do wrong. And Father, help us to learn that and to understand that, Father. And help us not to, you know, make excuses, God, for our failures. Yeah, we do blow it. And God knows we're going to blow it. But may we understand, God, that, that, that Father, we, we, we weakened ourselves in our spiritual life. Or we took it upon ourselves to do something that, that you didn't approve of, God. And Lord, help us to do the things that we are called to do, Father. To be right, to do right. In your eyes, Lord, by your word. And so, Father, we thank you and we do pray that you would continue to move in us and through us, that you'd continue to teach us your word, God. Father, that we might you know, do the things uh, that we've been called to do, Father. Always for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. All right, Wednesday we'll be back in Ezekiel. We'll be uh, in chapter 3. And, and God's word to Ezekiel was to warn the people. Warn the people. God bless you guys.